Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. Find us on Twitter at political underscore beats. We, of course, invite you to subscribe to our feed. Get those new episodes right when they're available. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or you can head right to nationalreview.com and find all of the episodes there. Listen, enjoy, share, please leave reviews as well. My name is Scott Bertram. You can find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. My tag team partner is standing by, as always, Jeff Blair. Jeff, how are you? Uh, I can't say as I'm fairly motivated that much today, Scott. You know, been a, been a bit, a bit of a rough week. Got a lot of other things going on, a lot of irons in the fire. So I think I'm maybe just going to contribute one or two of my best thoughts to this episode <laughs> and then a lot of other instrumental work. Well, you know, if, if I contribute one or two things and you contribute one or two things and we sort of bridge them together with maybe like special things people have liked from other episodes, we might be able to cobble something together. You know what? I think we can get a lot of great oldies but goodies from earlier Political Beats episodes, put them all together into one super hit soundtrack, and then we're going to be good to go. And maybe make a volume one and a volume two later after volume one sells well. We'll call it Endless Summer. (laughs) Uh, Jeff on Twitter, at EsotericCD. Our guest today... uh, There is no guest. Uh, This is one of our... (laughs) Special episodes that we pull out our, of the Our guest every now today and then. is Scott Bertram and Jeff Blair. <laughs> so about, a, about a year ago or so, I was looking. It's been at least a year. We did our, yeah. our first uh, very special episode with no guest, in which we we discussed our favorite cover songs of all time, and that, as much as I, as best as I can tell, uh, you know, via Twitter and elsewhere, was received fairly well, yeah. and uh, and put the special episode back on the agenda for future use. So we're pulling it out this time. And uh, Jeff and I will discuss, uh, by popular demand, or at least three or four people who have sent us notes, our favorite soundtracks. Music and the movies is the subject of today's special episode of Political Beats. And there is so much to discuss here. And the first thing you have to discuss when you're talking about music and the movies is what kind of soundtrack counts as a soundtrack. Now, I'm going to let you in on a big secret. You know, for the purposes of this show, we have admitted every single variety of soundtrack. (laughs) But, but. We thought about this and we realized that you have to divide them up into certain categories because not all soundtracks are created equal. There are multiple kinds of soundtracks. One is a soundtrack that an artist is commissioned to do for a film. Mm -hmm. So a rock artist is, say, given a commission and said, listen, we want you to write the soundtrack for this film, Uh, whether it's writing a whole new group of rock songs, which is rare, or sometimes writing rock songs and instrumental songs, or, or not rock songs, but pop, you know, like lyrical songs, melodic songs, plus instrumental songs, which is less rare, but doesn't always work out that well unless your name perhaps is Curtis Mayfield. <laughs> and then you have the third category of soundtrack, which. I mean, fortunately or unfortunately, is the most popular kind of soundtrack, which is, I said, the compilatory soundtrack, the compilation soundtrack, where somebody, whether his name is George Lucas or Robert Zemeckis, comes and compiles a bunch of greatest hits from an earlier era. Richard Clark himself also did this. Um, And 
finds a bunch of like hits that represent an era and puts them together to sort of set the tone for the film. And then when you watch the film, you're so mesmerized by these great musical sounds that you want to go out and you want to find the soundtrack. <laughs> and, uh, you know, ironically enough, half the time when you buy the soundtrack, you they're not feel, there. Yeah, right. Because that rights issues, <laughs> right? Is that rights <laughs> issues. You were able to use it in the movie, but it couldn't come out on the CD. Isn't that the bitch? Um, but uh, the thing is, is that there are many varieties of soundtracks. So when people said, and then, by the way, it was more than three or four people. I got like, you know, 10s, 20s, especially my DMs, people asking us to do soundtrack episode. Um, I said like, okay, yeah, you know, that's a good idea. But I, I kind of despaired because I realized that like what a lot of these people are thinking of as soundtracks, they never went out and bought the CD. If they would bought the CD, Correct. they would have learned, they would have heard a lot of incidental instrumental music mm -hmm. on some of these albums. They wouldn't have heard the songs they heard in the movies. So to the extent possible, we're going to try to distinguish among these categories, although it's, it's ultimately kind of a fruitless task. I think ultimately our popular memories are going to serve as our guides on these things and we all understand like what the great soundtracks are of you know, sort of the modern rock popular music era uh, although if you know you thought of a soundtrack that we failed to mention on the show then I, i'm sorry that you're wrong <laughs> and, and, and your taste is poor and, and i apologize um but like you know uh, for example there are soundtracks that we won't be naming today for example forrest gump yes you know uh, we all love fortunate son and uh you know uh you know uh running on empty and, and, for, and for what it's worth yeah. by Buffalo Springfield. Great songs by artists that we love and and have covered and will cover on this show. But you know what? Eh, just, you know, it's a, know. Maybe, you know maybe, maybe it's the fact that I don't like Forrest Gump. <laughs> but, I, you know, I feel the same way about the Forrest Gump soundtrack that I do about, say, like the Days Didn't Confuse soundtrack or yes. the Wedding Singer soundtrack, the Adam Sandler It's so show. easy to just throw a bunch of crap on there from right. the era. Uh, even the even the big chill, which I know people like a lot. I mean, th that's the same thing. It's 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 you know not what? that I difficult. The big chill. <laughs> it's not that difficult to to say. All right, I'm setting my movie, or in the big chill's case, you know, that's the that's the era you want to kind of recreate or the wedding singer. I'm setting it in 1986. What are the biggest hits of it? 1985 that I can find to put on that to me is makes a listenable album certainly, but not a great soundtrack. Right, exactly. For me, a soundtrack, especially if you're doing a compilation of like hits from the past, you either be thoroughly comprehensive, which in at least one case I'm going to mention is like, you know, like when you throw 41 damn songs onto a, so a soundtrack, well, <laughs> I mean, how can you object? Or in other cases where it's a compilation where, you know, you just, you know, Sometimes you strike that mode, you strike that mood and that moment so well mm -hmm. that it becomes completely indelible and you'll never forget it. Or in, in, in the case that you're talking about, it's just like, you know, paint paintball where you're just spraying paint against the wall <laughs> and, and like how can you fail when you're throwing credence and buffalo springfield and, and you know jackson brown and a bunch of other obvious hits onto a wall it does it especially when, when the film like spans like what's like 40 years yeah, or something yeah. like that every everything from the 50s to the aids crisis i mean come on I mean, it gets a little silly um 
so there are different kinds of soundtracks that we're going to talk about. And, and I don't know, Scott, I don't know which form of soundtrack you want us to address first. Is it the ones that were made specifically by artists for films or is it, you know, the compilation or different type? You go first. Where shall we start? Well, you know what? I, I, let's start with the ones where we have essentially new music involved at a soundtrack, whether it be commissioned or whether it be kind of grabbing uh, songs that are, that, are, that are of the era that are being released at that very time. And I, I guess I want to start with one. Let's start with one that we both agree on. Let's start on the right foot. Um, yeah. And, and that's one from, I guess, what, 1991? Singles. The most, yes! The, the soundtrack, no, definitely. The soundtrack from Singles, which was one of the first soundtracks that I can remember purchasing in fact and uh i I bought the uh, i bought the soundtrack before i had even seen the movie and if you don't know what singles is about it it, it, you know well what what it's about isn't as important as what it kind of represents which is that you know the seattle what it's about is eddie vetter's best (laughs) movie cameo in history (laughs) yeah um but you know the soundtrack captures the seattle grunge scene of that time it was uh, the movie was 19 1992 so it's literally just as all of that is breaking upon the country as a whole and you've got um you've got everyone on that scene involved plus which is also nice um old seattle people like Jimi hendrix and hart although in this case they're the love mongers which is just ann and nancy wilson um and Paul Westerberg. And Paul Westerberg's the guy that drew me to the soundtrack, though he is not of Seattle, I realize this. That's so, so random. Right? He has two songs this album, but he's a Minneapolis man. He's a What's Minneapolis he guy. But Dyslexic Heart is the song that brought me to singles. And it's also an important song in my musical education. Dyslexic Heart was a, was a song played on my local college radio station that I probably heard around 94, 95, so a few years after the soundtrack was released. But I love Dyslexic Heart. I loved it when I heard it. I loved it still listening today. And it's the song that sort of made me realize that there was lots of good music that wasn't necessarily being played uh, on the commercial radio stations. You know, you could find it on college stations. You could find it, uh, I guess not back then, you know, uh, online. But you could find people who had similar tastes. And there was great music being made that wasn't represented uh, necessarily in the mainstream, so to speak. Dyslexic Heart is a great Westerberg song. It's the first stuff he put out solo, unless you count the last Replacements album, which is essentially Westerberg solo, uh, a- after breaking up the replacements. Two songs on here, Dyslexic Heart and uh, and Waiting for Somebody. And I just think they're fantastic. I mean, I, I do. And and you had mentioned, you know, as we were talking before the show started, that largely when people are asked to do songs for soundtracks, sometimes they don't end up real well. I think Westerberg... Yeah, it's, it's usually the crap that didn't work out on yes. the album, so yes. they like gave it away, you know, that kind of thing. But I think Westerberg's an exception, and I, I think I recall hearing him talk about this a bit, because he has taken, I mean, he's taken money to, to do soundtracks through the years, and it helps keep him afloat, which is great, you know? Right. But I think it frees him a bit. He's not as, as concerned about about being Paul Westerberg and about being, you know, the replacements guy as much as he is about delivering a product to someone who's buying it. And as as sort of... Um, <laughs> that sounds very... Right, right. <laughs> sounds very denaturalized. But, but, you know what? He's like, here's a good song. Right. I'm glad. I'm glad you like it. it it's catchy. I'm going to say na-na-na-na, na-na-na-na-na. na 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 na
uh, you know, Waiting for Somebody has a great guitar sound, a big chorus. He did the music for this children's film called Open Season about a decade ago, and one of his best solo songs is on there called Love You in the Fall. And it's just... I, I think it I think it frees him a bit, and he has done great solo work. It's been very uneven, especially toward the front end of the solo career. But the stuff he's done for uh, for soundtracks and and for singles has all worked really well. Uh, it's impressive to me. It makes uh, the, the soundtrack work very well. Um, elsewhere on here, you've got Alice in Chains, which maybe my favorite Alice in Chains song, Wood. Oh no, it's Wood. I mean, this, the, the soundtrack opens with I think the greatest Alice in Chains song. Ever. I think so too. I I totally agree. Yes. And so like when it opens with wood and then it follows right into one of the great like lost Pearl Jam songs, which is breath. Um, you're just like, okay, this is this is not your normal soundtrack. And then I would actually think I would actually argue that if we're talking about like all new artists contributing all new material to a soundtrack, this might be up there with the best of them all, precisely for that reason. Mm-hmm. Uh Soundgarden's on there. And uh, Mud Honey, Mother Love Bone. Uh, I love that Screaming Tree song, too. Nearly lost you. Mark Lanigan, who's in Screaming Trees, has done so much great work that's kind of flown under the radar a bit the past years. Uh, he had a great album called Field Songs in 20, uh, 2001. Uh, he was involved in Queens of the Stone Age for a while. He and Greg Dooley from uh, Afghan Wigs uh, got together as a, as, a, as a duo called the Gutter Twins and put out this fantastic album about 10 years ago. Um, and, and, and the Screaming Trees track here nearly lost you is one of my favorites too. It's it's uh, one, really one, one of the hilarious things I think about this album is that it ends with another. There's only two people on this record that aren't from Seattle. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and, and you know where I'm going with this, right? Yeah. Paul Westerberg, of course, from Minneapolis, and then of course from uh, dear old Chicago. The Smashing Pumpkins end it with Drown, which is actually one of their great kind of like lost outtakey songs. You know, I used to not be a Smashing Pumpkins fan. I've kind of come into an appreciation for them in later years. This is a great song. It's like eight and a half minutes long noise mess. Um, and I don't know what they're doing on the single soundtrack. I, I guess they just, they did, you know, somebody listened to Gish and they were just like, all right, get y'all in here on this. But of course, the thing about this album, the thing about this soundtrack that makes it so representative, first of all, I like the fact that A, Nirvana is nowhere to be found. On yeah. Because of course, they're too cool for school. Um, but, you know, hey, I've, I've always thought Nirvana was pretty overrated anyway. But what you do here is you get Mud Honey. God, you get Screaming Trees. You get, you know, you Chris Cornell does a sonal track, which I actually think is really good. And then you get Pearl Jam tween two of their great songs. It's not just Breath. Which State of Love earlier. and Trust is great. State of Love and Trust is, they still play it to this day. It's such a good song.
and then you get Alice in Chains. Uh, mother, there's a Mother Love Bone, an old Mother Love Bone song, which is, of course, the precursor band to Pearl Jam. Um, th- this is, you know, as as almost comical as it sounds to say, this is really the, quote, Seattle sound of early 1990s. And they got it. They got it before it kind of got sold out, commercialized, before 1993-94, before the death of Kurt Cobain, before, you know, Soundgarden imploded before Pearl Jam got weird. They got it all in that early period and they got them all to contribute. And that's kind of why it, it's not just a great soundtrack. It, it's a fairly iconic cultural document. Yeah, uh, agreed, agreed. And, you know, I I, um, I want to spend one second on one that this would not be in my top 10, but since it, we're talking about kind of capturing a moment as singles did. I don't know. Do you know the soundtrack for Clueless? Which, again, is Yeah, not... sure. I mean, I remember the, the acoustic version of Fake Plastic Trees, That's right. which I still out from that version. That's, on the... from that album. That's another one that sort of captures it. It's about three years later, and so you see where the musical scene is sort of shifted by then. Um, you know, Counting Crows around there. Uh, there's a great band. Uh, do you know Smoking Popes at all? Nope, do okay. not. So Smoking Popes have Need You Around on uh, on Clueless. That is a great kind of power pop band from the mid-90s. Um, Need You Around is great. Crackers got a song on there. They cover an old Flamin' Groovy song called Shake Some Action. Johnny Hickman sings lead on that, not Dave Lowry. And uh, and I've loved. I did not know the Flamin' Groovies before I heard Shake Some Action, but that again drove me to find out more about that band, who's fantastic. A Beastie Boys are on here. Lucius Jackson's on here. Uh, it's not in my top ten, but I think um, it holds up very well. For again, I don't love the Clueless a ton, but I think the soundtrack holds up well. All right, so. If we're talking about originals, where people actually contribute their own songs to a soundtrack, I'm trying to think what would come next. And you know what? I got to tell you, there are two obvious ones that one of which we have already discussed at length on this show. So uh, unfortunately, I feel like I have to be brief about it, (laughs) Um, but I will mention it. And that is... Yeah, of course, everybody knew it because, you know, I'm such a musical hipster. I like those obscure, esoteric things. Yes, it's the Monkees. That's right. Hey, hey, we're the Monkees. Their soundtrack to the 1968 Monkees film Head. Oh, my God. It's the best Monkees album of all time. And I'm not saying that as a joke because I'm actually a pretty big Monkees fan, as you will know if you go back and listen to our Monkees episode Head is a ridiculously bizarre cultural document. You can go back and hear my argument for it on the episode. But the album itself is 28 and a half minutes of music and sound assembled by Jack Nicholson, the actor, to create um, a combination of music concrete and just straight up pure music that I think was unmatched in the 1960s. People talk about other like 60s soundtracks. People might think, well, are you guys going to mention Magical Mystery Tour? There's another Beatles album that I will mention perhaps uh, later on. But I'm not going to mention Magical Mystery Tour because, frankly, that album sucks and the movie sucks too. (laughs) Head is interesting and the music is just so impossibly moving. Uh, For me, of course, the, the highlight will always be As We Go Along which was, you know, a Goffin King song. Yep. And, uh, you know, Neil Young playing on guitars and Mickey Dolan's just singing like Grace Slick. Open your eyes, get up off the ocean. 
one of the most beautiful moments both in the film and on the soundtrack but the soundtrack itself is so great because it's rare like when sometimes when you buy a soundtrack it's just a collection of songs the soundtrack the head is unique in that it's really a movie soundtrack so much of the movie dialogue is interspersed between the tracks that you end up getting a kind of sense even if you've never seen this film which i hadn't i hadn't seen the film for maybe like 10 years uh, after I got the soundtrack. And so all I knew about it was what I heard from the clips on this album. And then when I watched the film, I was like, yeah, yeah, that was pretty much what I expected. That was, <laughs> that, was, that was pretty damn crazy. And that's why I love it as a soundtrack experience. It's one of the few like movie soundtracks made for a film where you can listen just to the LP. Mm-hmm. You know, no visual images, just the vinyl, and you will get a real impression of what's going on in the film. There's great stuff. It's not my favorite Monkeys album. People who've heard the Monkeys episode know that's uh, Pisces, Aquarius, uh, Jones, Capricorn, and, and Capricorn Jones. Jones. Yeah. I think that, again, I, I will just say again, if that album did not say The Monkeys on it, it would be considered one of the best albums of that late 60s era. It's a fantastic album. But, Head also has a great Peter Tork song, uh, one written by Peter Tork, but sung by Mickey Dolan's and Can You Dig It? Michael Nesmith's Circle Sky is good. If people have heard something from here, it's probably Porpoise Song. It's been on a couple of Monkeys comps through the years, another uh, Golf and King. And, uh, you know, ironically enough, it was one of the few songs that we did not excerpt on our (laughs) Monkeys episode, so I guess maybe we have to do it now. The thing about Head is is it's not the only great movie soundtrack made for a movie of the 1960s. And, of course, that brings me inevitably to like, – like, we can't do a soundtrack episode without talking about the Beatles, right? Because they did three movies. They did three movie soundtracks. Well, they did four if you count Yellow Submarine. But eh, I don't know. They weren't really involved with that one. And, of course, the one I'm going to mention is A Hard Day's Night. The first half of A Hard Day's Night, the British version, the the one that you can get on CD these mm-hmm. days, all of those songs are in the film. Um, and, uh, well, what can you say about A Hard Day's Night? A lot of people would argue it's the greatest rock film ever made. I would say that a, The Kids Are All Right by The Who is actually the greatest rock film ever made. But ironically, I'm not going to mention that as one of my favorite soundtracks because 
when I listen to the actual soundtracks album that was released, I don't know. It just feels a little bit boring all strung together. Uh, but A Hard Day's Night, I can never get bored with A Hard Day's Night. I can never get bored with listening to the opening clang of the title track. I can never get bored with Can't Buy Me Love. I can never get bored with Tell Me Why or with you know, John Lennon blowing on his harmonica for seemingly 30 seconds straight on I, Th- I Should Have Known Better. Hey, hey, hey. One of the, I mean, especially coming so early, 1964, mm-hmm. to do this back then. Yes, of course. And it's almost like de rigueur. Like we, we couldn't proceed onwards without having mentioned this. I should have done better. Such a great track. And I, yeah. I'll just say two seconds. Uh, Magical Mystery Tour. I think, I think I like that more than you and Charlie on our Beatles episode. And so I'll just say, there's, it's not on my top 10 list, but look, I, I do like Eye on the Walrus, and George Harrison's Blue Jay Way is worth the price of admission itself. And when we well, talk deeply about I, on the show. I'll tell you, like, there's nothing, there's nothing on Magical Mystery Tour that really kind of equals the visual image of watching a, a mustachio John Lennon as a waiter <laughs> shoveling plates and plates full of spaghetti onto a fat woman's table uh, in that weird dream sequence. And that, <laughs> that, 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 unfortunately, is something that crops up in my nightmares every now and then. Oh, goodness gracious. Uh, yeah. I, I want to take us from the, the Beatles up a couple of decades and, and put something in, in the mix that... Uh, I, I, I freely admit this is just as, a, as an emotional pick as it is a, uh, uh, a quality pick. And I'm going to throw in the, the soundtrack from Footloose here. And let, let me tell you why. There are, there are probably two albums that I was exposed to first as, that I can remember latching on to as a, as, a, as a young child. One is Huey Lewis and the News and Sports. And that, my dad had that LP. And the other is... The Footloose soundtrack. If I remember correctly, my uncle Ken, if he's listening, ended up ended up recording a version of the Footloose soundtrack on eight track for us. So we had like this blank b- black eight track that was the Footloose soundtrack. And as a four year old, essentially, I can I, I you know I could go back and say, oh, this is when we need to, need to switch from uh, Heaven Helps the Man, so I could hear the beginning of. Of, of Let's Hear It For The Boy on track one. That's what I was doing as a, as a four-year-old on the Footloose soundtrack. You know, I'm embarrassed to admit this. I was going to just, like, rake you over the coals for, 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 for choosing the Kenny Loggins soundtrack. But, but the truth is, is, like, growing up as a kid... I effing loved "Let's Hear It for the Boy." Yeah, that is not a, only that, not only that, but man, dude, holding out for a hero. Holding out for Bonnie a hero Tyler. is great. I mean, "Let's Hear It for the Boy." That that is just such that. How can you not love that that little thing?
Denise Williams. That was a huge hit. They released seven that was, singles. That was the Janet Jackson hit that should have been. I mean, she was doing similar <laughs> stuff like that in like 1984, and I always thought that was a Janet Jackson song. <laughs> and and then I found out much later that no, it's it's Denise Williams who I yeah. don't even really I don't know if she did anything else. So so what's on here? You got Footloose, of course, the the Kenny Loggins track. And for a long time, I thought that Kevin Bacon was Kenny Loggins because in the video, <laughs> you know, he's dancing. And why would you have someone who's not singing the song in the video? Uh, let's hear it for the boy from Denise Williams, which is still, I, I get stuck in my head all the time. And then what else? So Almost Paradise, which is Ann Wilson from Heart and Mike Reno from Loverboy in a song written by Eric Carmen from the Raspberries? Come on! <laughs> well, Eric Carmen also from Hungry Eyes. Yes. Come on, Hungry Eyes. Every, everyone in the 80s knew that song. <laughs> and um, and then Holding Up for a Hero, Bonnie Tyler, that's also a Jim, Jim Steinman song. Jim Steinman wrote Total Eclipse for the Heart for Bonnie Tyler. Actually wrote it for Meatloaf and gave it to Bonnie Tyler. And Jim Steinman's back here to write Holding Up for a Hero, which again, come on. Who doesn't like holding up for a hero? Heaven Helps the Man, which is actually called I'm Free, later from Kenny Loggins. There's a Sammy Hagar track on the album. Okay, we'll forgive it for that. <laughs> um, this is free. By the way, Sammy Hagar, before joining Van Halen, this yeah. is like, I guess, post-Montrose, pre-Van Halen, but, Sammy yeah, Hagar. But post-I Can't Drive 55. Um, right, exactly. Is, is a song of the album. And dude, Dancing in the Sheets was a top 20 hit. Yes, yes. Seven singles, uh, what, Four of them cracked the top 20. Uh, I'm Free was 22. Um, this is just, it, it's, I mean, it's really, it's a seminal work in the music education of me. And I have fond memories of listening to this eight track and finding out where you had to click over to hear the song. So it's on my list. Listen, it's dumb, but you know what? We all, I, was, I just went to, def, I went to bat for heads. So like, <laughs> no one's going to make fun of you for that. Okay. If we're still talking about yes. albums yes. that are made for films specifically, you know, I, I mentioned, I mentioned Hard Day's Night. I mentioned Head. Um, I'm going to mention a couple of others because I think that, you know, this is you know, when a lot of people think about soundtracks, is this really where they're coming from? I think they are. And I think one, they really have to focus on. And this is talk about hard, hard left turn in from from 80s schlock pop into like gritty reggae realism. <laughs> right. You know, we're going to we're going to take you back 12 years and, you know, off the continent onto a little island known as Jamaica. And I gotta say, this is this is as famous as they come if you really are into reggae. And the answer I'm gonna give you is the harder they come. Hmm. This soundtrack album, this is a, a pretty, you know, it was a, you know, a Jamaican sort of obscure kind of a, a rebel crime film starring Jimmy Cliff, who starred as like the lead criminal robber character. You know, he, he, you know, he gets into trouble with the law. And it ends badly because you know that's the way these things go. Uh, he not only performed most of the songs on the record. I think he gets you know out of like uh, I don't know out of like eleven of them he gets like you know, six hmm. or something like that. Uh, he he does a lot of his own original material. Some of them are older tracks that he brings back. But what it also does is it draws on a lot of the great classic reggae and ska sounds 
of that era that had never been heard before. This first got big in the United Kingdom, which is where the Clash picked it up. We talked about this yes. on the Clash episode. Yeah. You know, there's that that you know, of course, famously, the Guns of Brixton co- quotes the song. You know, you know, when you're coming out uh, at the end of the harder they come, because like you know, Joe Strummer, Paul Simon, and uh, they were obsessed with this film and sort of like the rebel badass you know that it depicted and that hard life that hard robber life but the music itself is just so good if you have never heard like you know toots and the maytals you know pressure drop that's a song that the clash later covered by the way as a b-side the original maytals version of it is amazing and you will find it on this album The, the Jimmy Cliff songs. The Harder They Come is the last one on this. It's great. But you can also, like, you know, you can get it if you really want it. It's great. Uh, Many Rivers to Cross is great. But then you've got other stuff like, you know, Desmond Decker, you know, who hmm. does Shantytown on that. Desmond Decker, by the way, was basically the original insp- inspiration for Obla Di Obla Da by the Beatles, huh. which shows you just how old school he was. He was doing this stuff back in, like, the, the <laughs> mid to late 60s. All right. Or, uh, you know, you know, Sweet and Dandy is another Maytal song. you got um, this song called Rivers of Babylon. I can't even remember who does it. It's uh, some group who I never heard of anywhere before, and, I, and I'm going to kick myself for not being able to cite it now. But you can go to Wikipedia and find it, I'm sure. But this is just a great sort of a reggae ur text and, and an album that introduced a lot of people. And frankly, let's be honest, a lot of white people. Yeah. Uh, like me (laughs) to (laughs) reggae you know and then it was from here and then you got this and then all of a sudden you were like diving into the works of you know Lito Scratch Perry and then you were diving into like all of the other stuff like Marley and the Whalers and all those things but this is where it really began you before Marley caught fire in the United Kingdom, which brought him actually back to America uh, with Catch a Fire and those things. Uh, it, it was this. It was the harder they come that broke reggae for a larger audience, uh, basically a non-black audience. And I just, you know, it holds up so well. Sure as the 
don't know the heart of it come that well. And there's another one that I know is on your list that I want you to to, to sell me on. And I, I'll, I'll, I'll do the same for you on one I know you're unfamiliar with. Uh, I'm almost ashamed to say I don't really know Superfly. I don't. I've never seen the film, and I've only heard bits and pieces of the soundtrack. So why do I have to go seek it out? Oh, my God. I know we all have blind spots. I used to think I was the whitest uh, <laughs> no. guy on the sound on the face of this planet, but no. Okay, let's see. What's what's Superfly? Superfly, classic black exploitation film, um, uh, done in uh, nineteen I think nineteen seventy two or thereabouts. And uh, what happened is they commissioned. Uh, you know, someone to do the soundtrack. Well, they, they didn't want to have like you know, a, a, you know, a crap throwaway soundtrack. Or maybe they did, and they just got lucky. They got Curtis Mayfield to do it. Curtis Mayfield, legend of soul. And so, what he ended up recording was not just some throwaway soundtrack. He ended up recording an album that ended up, I believe, going to number one in the charts or very close. Um, this is an album that isn't the. As with a lot of these sort of black exploitation, you know, funk, you know, uh, R&B soundtracks, there are quite a few of instrumental songs on this. But on Superfly, you have three of the most profound, like R&B soul songs of you know dark urban texts that you're ever going to find from this era. The first of them is, of course, the title track, Superfly. Mm-hmm. You know, but the second, of course, is Freddie's Dead. You know, you know, which is uh, the, the 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 song about like there's a character in the film. I don't know. I guess you haven't seen the film. I haven't. Called, you, know, you know, there's this guy called Fat Freddy in the film, and you know he's you know you know number number one of the you know these street guys. He gets run over by, by a car, uh, but it's just this great narrative about like you know you know he's he's just you know guy who basically got run down by the system. Uh, you know, he never really had a chance. You know, he made his choices, but Freddy's dead. <laughs> of the mall is pusher man which is uh you don't it does this, the title doesn't really need any explanation <laughs> um you know obviously you know who this is about it is just such a good soundtrack and but we did our marvin gay episode a couple yeah. uh, of weeks ago and uh you know he kind of you know was inspired by the success of superfly to do his own trouble man soundtrack and that um i you know, I enjoy it, but it's almost entirely instrumental and it's basically throwaway, except for the title track, which is amazing. It's one of his great songs. Um, but whereas Marvin Gaye's Trouble Man soundtrack is kind of a throwaway aside from that one song, which, you know, you need to hear Trouble Man. Uh, F- Superfly, 
you need to have the whole album. Even the instrumental stuff is just good. It's composed with such soul and such thought. It's not throwaway stuff. He was working off of the same concept. I think he was actually himself inspired by Gay. You know, he heard what's going on. He heard all the strings and stuff on mm-hmm. that album. You know, like, you know, Mercy Me and Flying High and all those those wonderful swooping orchestral arrangements. And he said, I can do this. And he brought it to Superfly. Uh, listen, if you're going to want get one embodiment of sort of, you know, the black, black exploitation, early 70s soul sound in a movie, here's Superfly. by the way, on the pop charts back in 1972. So yes, number one. Uh, All right, so I want to sell you on something I know that you haven't heard, and that is the sound... Now, um, the soundtrack for This is Spinal Tap nearly made my list, but it didn't because I actually think there's one in that that genre that's even a little bit better, and that's the soundtrack to Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. I am flabbergasted. So, so we, we've moved into parody soundtracks now? But it's not. I mean, it is, but the songs are so good by themselves. They, it is not, uh, it's not even a, like a Weird Al sort of, you want to laugh at them because they're, right? It, they, the songs hold up by themselves, and there's so many good people involved in this album. I am flabbergasted, first of all, that Walk Hard is not remembered more fondly. It didn't do well at the box office, for one. But then, too, it, it doesn't have a shelf life like uh, like Step Brothers. I, I think Step Brothers is terrible, by the way. But people love Step Brothers, uh, which also has John C. Riley in it. No one has this like deep, abiding love for Walk Hard. It's not on every weekend on TBS. It is hilarious. Uh, it's a satire of the biopics, right? It came out a little bit after Walk the Line, the Johnny Cash movie, essentially following Dewey Cox as John C. Riley's character through his. Um, road to music stardom he becomes addicted to every drug known to man he has problems with his uh, girlfriend and wife and he has angerish it's every it's all the stereotypes of what it takes to make it in music right and i mean like does his house burn down with people in it like roy orbison style is it that dark i mean or do they do they skip well, the really really painful ones his brother is killed and his father keeps reminding him that the wrong kid died Okay, well, so, that, that, is, right? that is very country. It does, okay. does, does pretty well. And then you have this, this soundtrack for Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, in which um, like Spinal Tap had to get like the Mercy Beat stuff right, and then they kind of went right into... Although, the heavy metal. Right, although Give Me Some Money, I mean, it's just fantastic. But then right, <laughs> right to metal, right? So you have like two genres you kind of have to master. Walk Hard is this journey of music from the 1950s all the way through essentially like the early 1980s. And so the people involved here have to master these styles and get it just right. You know, if the music is not right in one of these films, it's like, think think about if that thing you do, if that thing you do, the song wasn't perfect. 
you had to hear that like 42 times in that film, but they got it just right and they get the music just right and walk hard. So largely responsible for writing these songs is a guy named Mike Viola, uh, who's just uber talented. He spent the past uh, amount of time, five years or so, working real closely with Ryan Adams, but also had a, a band called Candy Butchers and put out a couple of albums under his own name, Mike Viola. And they're all just these great pieces of well-constructed pop music, power pop I got to tell you, I'm just looking it up on Wikipedia right now, and I already see, like, you know, the faux protest song called Mama, You Got to Love Your Negro Man. Yes. And I, I can only imagine. That, oh, my God. That's actually an, more of an Elvis one than a protest. The protest one is uh, Dear Mr. President, which is a little bit later uh, on oh, in the no. soundtrack. <laughs> Um, so Marshall Crenshaw writes the title tune, which is Walk Hard, which is just perfectly done. It's, you know, a Johnny Cash uh, sort of, you know, they say, people ask me, what do I walk so hard? Uh, it's just, it's a great, great song. Walk hard, hard down life's rocky road. Walk bold, hard. Been scorned and slandered and ridiculed too. Had to struggle every day my whole life through. Seen my share of the worst that this world can give. But I still got a dream and a burning rage to live. Walk hard. Van Dyke Parks writes uh, a song called Black Sheep here, which is a uh, pastiche of, of the Beach Boys uh, from, from the Van Dyke Parks era, of course. Uh, kind of a psychedelic uh, jam. There are uh, There's a song in here called Let's Duet, which is a duet with John C. Riley and in the movie, Jetta Fisher, but a woman named Angela Correa does the vocals here, full of fantastically timed double entendres. Um, there's Roy Orbison stuff here. There's a beautiful song called A Life Without You Is No Life At All, which is a perfect... Uh, perfect uh, Roy Orbison track that John C. Riley sings. There's Everly Brothers stuff. There's Elvis stuff. There's a Dylan song called Royal Jelly. Um, my favorite though is probably Guilty as Charged, which is uh, which is mostly a Johnny Cash kind of thing. He's, and John C. Riley starts the song. He says, "Good morning, Your Honor." May I approach the bench? And he tells his life of living hard. If you're accusing me of living too hard, I'm guilty as charged with like these flamencos and, uh, and things happening in the background. I ain't never lost a fight in my life. I'll send you home crying to your fat and ugly wife. If you don't believe me when I tell you this, well, let me introduce you to my rock heart you're accusing me of living too hard Well, I'm guilty I'm guilty as charged I ain't asking God to forgive my sins Take a good look and you'll And then the final track, or the final track in the movie is called Beautiful Ride, which is the song that's meant to sum up his career, which is how it's actually described in the, in the film. And it, it, it could be something like almost off of Cold Roses. It has that sort of tone to it everything man now i really have to hear this <laughs> everything is done in just the right way to match all those eras of music that they had to get right i am this is i just i don't know why the film and even the soundtrack itself isn't more beloved i think it's a fantastic soundtrack for the one of the funniest movies of that decade the, the, the first decade of the aughts 
do you mind if I ask, like, how does John C. Riley do singing all really songs? well? Really well. I mean, because you know, he's he's got that training. He sang in Chicago, uh, the musical, and uh, he he's actually. Uh, I mean, I don't know, not to, not that people are going to defame him, but he's actually very, you know very uh, versatile uh, performer. And he Who gets knew? he gets a lot of these vocals, like that Roy Orbison track. I'm telling you. Um, he actually does the Roy Orbison, like the like. like that. Not, I mean, no one does Roy, right? But, right, he's, but. he's in the ballpark, he, he, and he does it pretty darn well. Uh, the Elvis stuff is tight. There's one called "I Hate You, Big Daddy," which is, uh, you know, got a bad father in the picture, kind of a, a Brian Wilson, uh, Murray Wilson song that is in uh, in the Elvis style that he that he nails. Um, he does really, really well on the vocals. It's just, it's a fantastic soundtrack. It's a great album. All right, well, you've convinced me. I actually need to go hear this. Maybe I can go find <laughs> it on YouTube or Amazon. I don't know. But, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all up for a great pastiche. Hey, I'm a big fan of XTC's Chips from the Chocolate Fireball, <laughs> which is, I don't know if you're familiar with this. This was their attempt to do just a bunch of, like, you know, 60s psychedelic schlock. Yeah, yeah. And it's really good. Uh, so I want to hear, like, you know, I want to hear John C. <laughs> Riley doing a bunch of country stuff. Guilty as charged. That's the one, yep. I, I gotta hear. I gotta hear that Van. I, you know, I'm not a fan of Van Dyke Parks, but I'm a big fan of like you know Smiley or a Beach Boys. Yeah, so yeah. If, if that one comes off even remotely close to what I'm thinking, it might sound like I'm in. <laughs> so, I, I one more. Tra- I'm, do you have any other nominees? No, or, I, I, okay, I, I, I do. Yeah, you I got wanna, a couple. Yep. Okay. Well, I have one last track. One last soundtrack that I will nominate for like original music composed for uh, a music film. Um, and, and I guess it, you know, it's kind of in the same way. Walk Hard is a film explicitly about musicians and music, uh, but this is a little different. This is a much quieter film. You know, you know if, if if Walk Hard is like you know, all amps turned to eleven, you know, ultra parody, <laughs> right? Uh, a film that I just accidentally once saw with my wife. We were sitting alone, home, bored. Uh, we rented this, um, and. Uh, Actually, no, we didn't rent it. We went and we saw it in the movie theaters, actually. It's a film called Once, which I still to this day think is my favorite sort of, I don't know what category it falls into. Is it a romantic movie? Is it a musical movie? Um, It's, or is it just a, a movie about weird people in you know the united kingdom or ireland you know just trying to find their way but it it, it stars glenn hansard of the frames mm-hmm. and and marketa erglova uh who was you know a solo artist at the time uh, and he's just like a street busker and she's an immigrant from like czechoslovakia or something like that they meet on the streets he's like playing for money um, you know, and he's like, you know, he's like an itinerant salesman, I think, in his in his his you know day job or something like that. Uh, he doesn't really have a job at this point, and, and of course, she's I think you know like a nanny or something like that, you make trying to make money and put it away. To, you know, she can go back to her fiance. They fall in love, chased love, never consummated. It's a beautiful story, very underplayed, undertold. And it just features some of the most beautiful acoustic piano music. This is not a rock film. This is very much Mm -hmm. folk, uh, folk, piano, singer, songwriter material. Um, There are so many great songs on this uh, album performances. If you want me uh, when your mind's made up, 
there's a funny little uh, little squib called "Broken Hearted Hoover Fixer Sucker Up Guy," <laughs> which is where like you know Hansard's talking about here's what I used to do. But but the title track is the one that I continually come back to. It's called "Falling Slowly." It's not called Once. There is actually a song called Once. I, I call Falling Slow the title track because it's the signature song on the album. It's the one that you hear. He takes her in to like the, yeah, they go into a music shop and, you know, you know, he sits down with his guitar and she sits down at the piano and they start routining it. And all of a sudden you see them falling into a rhythm and see him teaching her the changes and they, they play it together and they sing in harmony. And it's just a beautiful song. And, you know, that that lyric uh, I've always fallen back on as one of my favorite uh, sort of lyrics of that era where they get to that that chorus when it says, take the sinking boat and mm -hmm. point it home. We've still got time. Raise your hopeful voice. You have a choice. You'll make it now. And he wrote the song before he met her but when they sing it you realize they're singing it to one another and they're falling in love with each other it's such a powerful moment in such a fantastic musical movie i think the director john carney kind of has has done a series of these films ever since uh once he, he did sing street later on which we talked about on our youtube episode i know that that was one that stephen miller brought up a lot um but uh this is really what he'll be most known for and this song falling slowly is one of the best songs that's ever been contributed in my opinion to any modern soundtrack that you're going to I've never seen the film, but I am familiar with the song, and I had heard it before. And I'm going to warn you here, if you love the song, then don't watch uh, Last Man on Earth, uh, the, the Fox series, which is now canceled, so you might not be in any danger. Oh, I, no, what happens? I was apparently, I'm apparently the only one who watched it because it was canceled, but it was fantastic. So falling mm -hmm. on the show, Will Forte and Jason Sudeikis are uh, brothers. Uh, and there's more to the backstory, but that's all you have to know. And so they haven't seen each other for a long time. They do karaoke, and they end up singing Falling Slowly to each other. And it repeats a couple of times during the course of the season. So 
Now, when I hear the song, all I think about is Will Forte and Jason Sudeikis singing "Falling Slowly" to each other on "Last Man on Earth." So I'm gonna I'm gonna suggest you avoid that if you want to keep you know the the integrity of that song in your mind. Well, that sounds deeply silly. Okay, uh, <laughs> so I suppose from that point we should move on to the next category of soundtracks, which is the cheap category. If if what Scott has said to me earlier in our show prep is anything to go on, which is the, oh, it's easy to assemble a bunch of greatest hits from an era and come up with a soundtrack that everybody loves. Because, yes, this is the Forrest Gump-style soundtrack. <laughs> um, but you know what? Despite that fact, I got to admit, there are quite a bit of soundtracks that are just like this that I love for any number of reasons and I'm willing to go bad for at least quite a few of them. Um, I don't know if you want to go first. Well, I want to. I want to. There is a line drawn here. Now, I think uh, the ones we're going to mention here, the ones I'm going to mention certainly, are, are 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 very carefully curated. I mean, they are songs chosen to match the film, to highlight a character trait, to 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 really fit a plot point it is not like i said let me i'm just just for example the wedding singer right i mean that is clearly it's a fine soundtrack i like a lot of the music on there they were all popular songs but this music was chosen for the soundtrack because it just fit the, it was because it was of the era right and i think the the the, the it soundtrack gave, you, gave you that 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 ah memories there was a right. South Park joke about this like right. i can't even remember what it was but it was like oh yes. yeah like Yo, like, oh, yes, I remember that. And I think that the main difference, one of the main differences is the songs and the soundtracks we're going to discuss here, the films were able to create a, a, a new a new memory for those songs. Those songs are now more associated with the, the, the film than they are with being a hit song, right, it, from that era, if that makes sense. The, they're really carving themselves into your mind as being part of a film and not as being part of an era. Uh, look, is there any real song from Forrest Gump you say, oh, yeah, that's the song from Forrest Gump? <laughs> I, right? No. Uh, no, but you will definitely say, oh, that's the song from Donnie Darko. Right, <laughs> You will right? definitely say So that. I think there's a, there's a difference there, and we can appreciate the, the really well... I mean, uh, okay, let's start with... Let's start with Rushmore, right? Because Rushmore is right. on both of our lists. Uh, it's one of my favorite films ever, and it's one of my favorite soundtracks ever. Uh, Wes Anderson chose the music for Rushmore before the the film was even even started filming it. He knew how he wanted to make the the movie or the music match the movie. Initially, it was going to be all Kinks music, and there's still one Kinks song that's on the the soundtrack eventually. But it is so important to how the film moves and to how you appreciate even the characters you know i think jason schwartzman's character uh max in, in rushmore is you learn about him through the music that's being chosen to highlight these portions of of his life and of the story and it's also the first time we really see how good wes anderson is at this i mean we're going to talk about um um scorsese in a bit um with with Goodfellas, but you know Wes Anderson as well, knowing how to pick these songs that are just right for the situation for the character, uh, choosing ones that you might not have heard. I mean, in in Rushmore, a song that unfortunately is not on the soundtrack but is in the film. I am waiting from the Rolling Stones. 
Yeah. It's probably one of the first times I heard that song. I'm like, how could I not have known about I Am Waiting? I mean, it's one of my favorite Stone songs now. But it took someone to sort of see how it would fit in that story and use it in that spot for it to, to kind of jump out. Mark Mothersbaugh uh, does a ton of music on the Rushmore soundtrack, the guy from Devo. Um, and I guess I was going to say it's not really Devo music, but in that in that kind of weirdness. Yes, present, it, it has it has there. certain certain reflection of Devo sensibility. Yes, absolutely. And, and but perfect transitions between some of these songs. I mean, from the very start, that montage that starts the movie set to uh, making time by the creation. Uh, I mean, what an amazing start to the, to the film. Uh, that the wordless scene that the kinks are in with nothing in the world can stop me worrying about that girl. Perfect. Perfection. I know she's been with other fellas. Why she keep on lying? It hurts me so when she says nothing. I really feel I died. I ache inside every time I think. I know it's just my pride. There's nothing in this world to stop me worrying about that girl Cause there's nothing in this world to stop me worrying about that girl Okay, here's what I'm going to say. Okay. I want you to imagine what it must have felt like. Okay, maybe you can't imagine because we're the same age. What it felt like to be an 18-year-old music-obsessed geek in 1998, <laughs> watching this film, hearing all of these songs. Oh, there's nothing in the world can stop me worrying about that. Go, that's an obscure song from their really crappy second album by the Kinks. <laughs> kind of Kinks. Nobody likes Kind of Kinks. I didn't think anybody even knew that song. And then, oh, what comes up? It's I'm Waiting from Aftermath. And then, well, what comes up? Oh, shite. It's the live version of a quick one while he's away <laughs> by The Who off of Live at Leeds. Not the original Live at Leeds, mind you, but the CD re-release. And then what, what, what happens? And this is the moment where – this, by the way, my favorite Wes Anderson film is Rushmore. Uh, this is the one that speaks to me more than anything else because yeah. that kid, like I'm – I mean, I didn't do the things that kid did, by the way. <laughs> but like, like I identify with that kid. That kid was kind of you know, the precocious weirdo. I mean, you know, it was something like I really, really vibed with it in, in 1998. Um, when it ends, you know, it, it's it that you, you know the, the big like you know the school dance scene at the end. He's finally kind of reconciled. Like, yes, I am a child, and I am not really going to go after an adult woman. Uh, maybe I've been fool all along and he calls the song, mm -hmm. you know, like he tells the DJ to hit it, you know, and you think it's going to be a rock song. Like everyone's <laughs> going to dance, but what is it? It's Ooh La La by the faces, which I had just been mainlining at that exact point. And then that song comes on and you hear it like, you know, the guitars, doom, 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 and then everyone starts sort of swaying to this music and i was simultaneously moved and enraged because i was like this man plagiarized my mind and put it on film which is basically what wes anderson has been doing in his soundtracks for his entire career which is i guess kind of one of the reasons why wes anderson is one of my favorite filmmakers when you wanna live, you get 
Yeah. Rushmore is one of those soundtracks that just stays with you because the music is so perfect, so sympathetically, empathetically chosen. The use of ooh la la at the end is sort of like a surprisingly like, it's a slow pitch. It's like you're standing at the plate, you're waiting for a fastball to come across, and then they throw (laughs) you a change up. And and it just it's just perfect. But also that fantastic sequence in the film that's set to a quick one, yes. where 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 Bill Murray and and, uh, and, and Jason Max, Schwartzman Max are like trying to get revenge on each other with the various pranks. They're just doing terrible things to one another, and it's all all set to the "You are forgiven, you are forgiven." Oh, it's hilarious! What a fantastic sympathetic marriage of music to vision that you will see in a film. Um, summer song, Chad and Jeremy. Love that one from Rushmore too. And I guess we should at least mention, as as I said, Wes Anderson's been great at this throughout his career. Um, Royal Tenenbaum soundtrack is also it's not on my, it's not as good as Rushmore in, in my mind, but man, uh, the the partnership with Mark Mothersbaugh has been great. The scene in uh, Royal Tenenbaum set to Needle in the Hay by Elliot Smith. Oh my goodness. Uh, you can't you can't get much more perfect than that um, in, in a film. And then you know, li- uh, uh, Life Aquatic has has all the David Bowie stuff, which I'm sure that you kind of uh, you kind of like. Um, and then yeah, the, yeah, uh, David Bowie in French. Who would yes. who would say no? And then the the heavy use of uh, Lola songs from the Kinks in uh, Darjeeling Limited, which uh, which I best like a lot part too. of that film, by the way. That's yeah. his worst film, in my opinion. But I, I do love like This Time Tomorrow and A Long Way Home. They're both in that film. Yep. Yep. And okay, if we're talking about the use of, of of great songs from you know you know the classic rock era, I don't know. So this isn't even the classic rock era. This is more of the '80s post punk era for me. <laughs> A couple years later, the one that came up for me, and 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 maybe ah, I might even like a little more than Rushmore uh, is Donnie Darko. I think Donnie Darko has one of the best soundtracks. Donnie Darko is a film uh, director by Richard Kelly and um, boy that guy's an interesting filmmaker because he never made another good film he made another a couple crazy films that are actually fun to watch but I wouldn't recommend them to you um, Southland Tales boy my lord, don't watch that film but watch that film um, but Donnie Darko is a masterpiece and, and one of the things that makes it a masterpiece other than the great plotting and the great direction, in my opinion, the great editing and, and, and the great acting, I think, by Jake Gyllenhaal particularly. And his sister Maggie actually is also really great in that, mm. um, is uh, the soundtrack, which absolutely perfectly captures an era that is an era that I'll never know better, which is living in northern Virginia area. I live right over the border in suburban Maryland. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where Kelly came from. He came from like northern Virginia. And, and um, you know, this is what it was like to grow up in the 80s. And so what do you have? You have songs that I heard growing up as a kid. I mean, what is, what is absolutely integral to this soundtrack? It opens, if you see in the film, it opens with Echo and the Bunnymen doing The Killing Moon. I mean, just, you know, fate up against a will. Oh, and you see, you know, Donnie biking home from, you know, he passed out on a mountain ledge for, for some reason that he can't quite understand. And, you know, he, 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 he's, he's riding his way home. And there's this great sense of uh, foreboding and, and ominousness that comes from it. Fate up against your
But of course, the one that's maybe the most indelible, and this is something I really want to mention because I don't know if we'll ever get a chance to do an episode on them, <laughs> is the use of, of uh, Head Over Heels by Tears for Fears, mm-hmm. which is great. It's for like, you know, the, the school sequence where like, you know, Donnie gets off the bus and comes to school and you see all the, the characters, the heroes and the villains. They're all, they all show up in various pictures. You know, you know his, his school teacher played by True, Drew Barrymore shows up there and, you know, it's all set to like, you know, I wanted to be with you alone and talk about the weather. Something happens when I'm head over heels. I never find out. And then it goes into the, you know, the na, 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 na. And it's just like you were there. It's 1987, 1988. This is what it felt like to be an awkward child in middle school, in high school. Like you know, it, it, there's in excess with never tear us apart. There's mm-hmm. that that song. Oh, is it under the Milky Way by um, the Church? I, the Church. Okay, yeah, yep. I can't. I, can't so I never remember that. But just like such great choices of songs. Love will tear us apart is in there on the party scene. Um, just it was it, it was it, if you were there, you'll recognize it because you were there. And you know what it was like to be there. And that's the thing that makes the Donnie Darko soundtrack so perfectly. And which makes sense because it was made by a person who was there. And he was really (laughs) – I think this is why it's this one great film because he was really just talking from personal experience. Uh, We should find someone to do a Tears for Fears uh, episode because we need to spend, what, at least a half an hour talking about sowing the seeds of love, just that one song? I I would happily do that. Oh, my goodness. Um, Capturing an era, as Daddy Darko does, this is going to be the one exception probably to the rule about, you know, taking big hits from an era is easy to make a soundtrack. And I'll tell you why. Well, first, tell you the soundtrack. That is a soundtrack to FM which I have no idea how many people have actually seen. I'm a radio geek, of course, so I've seen FM a number of times. And and the soundtrack to FM probably is more famous than the movie itself. There are the, the, the biggest hits from that era, 78, 79. I'm now confess the only reason I know FM is because of the Steely, Steely Dan, Dan song. Right, which is the first song on the soundtrack, and I think it's only available on the soundtrack. It's not from a Steely Dan album. Nope. Here's why I think this comp is a little different, and that is because this was released in 1978. What they've done on FM is somehow peered into the future 40 years and have been able to predict the songs that would stand the test of time. It's truly amazing when you look at the track listing. All right, I'm just going to run down the track list. FM, no static at all. Night Moves, 
Fly Like an Eagle, Cold as Ice, Break Down from Petty, Life in the Fast Lane, Do It Again from Steely Dan, The Lido Shuffle from Boz Skaggs, which is awesome, More Than a Feeling from Boston, Poor Poor Pitiful Me, uh, Linda Ronstadt version, Just the Way You Are, It Keeps You Running, Your Smiling Face, Life's Been Good from Joe Walsh, We Will Rock You. That's It's all on the soundtrack. But we're talking about a, a time when these songs maybe had been out for two years, maybe? And so the ability from the uh, the compilers to sort of look at the era they are standing in and say, these are the songs that fit not just the the uh, in the plot uh, you know, of a radio station. You've got to have some songs that are well-known. But these are also the songs that somehow are going to remain uh, uh, integral and remain uh, a part of... I mean, everyone knows those songs. Everyone knows all those songs. And somehow at that time, they were able to identify them and say, yes, these are the ones that will stand the test of time and still be relevant 40 years down the road uh, is pretty amazing. Their batting average, they had like 800, right? I mean, there's a few songs I didn't mention that are on the soundtrack that sort of fell away. I mean, Bad Man from Randy Meisner. No, 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 no one knows that, right? But <laughs> well, I hear a lot of Eagles and ex-Eagles on this right. soundtrack. So like, yeah, you know, you've got, you've got Joe Walsh, you got Randy Meisner, you yep. know. Yep. And the Eagles themselves, too. I mean, but but I, they did such a great job of identifying the, uh, those songs. The album did reach top five on the Billboard charts. And so I think just for that, um, it's, it's an amazing achievement uh, to a movie that is pretty well forgotten, but for a soundtrack that is pretty well remembered. I agree, and that is you know not a soundtrack that I was super familiar with, but it, it obviously is good. And by the way, if we're going to talk about one cheap soundtrack, you know, we're talking about jazz. Like, okay, we're going to compile the hits. It's easy to do. It's twenty years on, and we're going to give you your, your your big hit of nostalgia mm-hmm. and make make you feel good. Uh, well, I, I'm going to say, you know, I'm not a big fan of George Lucas. Uh, <laughs> I, I love to, to mock Star Wars and, and all the various things attendant with it. But I will say that the American Graffiti soundtrack, 41 original hits from the soundtrack of American Graffiti. Man, if you're going to get like a, a compilation of like late 50s, early 60s rock you can't really do much better than that. You know, it doesn't have Elvis, right? So it, it doesn't have like, you know, jailhouse rock. It doesn't have some of those songs, but it has like everything from rock around the clock to Barbara Ann by the regions <laughs> to like the book of love to, you know, a lot of buddy Holly to, you know, the early beach boys, like not like, you know, Van Dyke parks era beach boys, but like, you know, like surf and safari. It's got like, you know, doo-wop from like Frankie Lyman and the teenagers. It's got a lot of great stuff that is just sort of like 
captures the heart and soul of the late 50s yep. and early 60s and you know almost all of it you're going to hear on the soundtrack to the actual film so i guess it, i consider it valid in that respect <laughs> however it may fall afoul of your rules <laughs> Um, I also, so this is one that definitely is, is mining the past, but it, you know, Cameron Crowe's involved here. And certainly if anyone's going to be able to find these tracks, um, it's Cameron Crowe. So I guess Cameron Crowe gets away with it because he was friends with all those people right. back in the day he when was he was like it. a journalist for Rolling Stone. Yeah. Uh, but almost famous, uh, as a film and as a soundtrack, that, that means so much to me. Uh, I love the movie. Um, and the soundtrack is so well chosen. Um, you know, William Miller and Lester Bangs, that relationship between, uh, you know, a youngster starting out in the industry and someone who has been hardened by it. I kind of had that happening around the time it was released with someone I was working with. We're still really good friends to this day. Um, and, and the music chosen, again, these are not tracks. There are a few, right? I, I've seen all good people from Yes is on here. That's one that people generally know. Maybe uh, Every Picture Tells a Story from Rod Stewart. But by and I'll large, t- I'll tell you what the number one is for me. And and I wouldn't have chosen the soundtrack, but I, for me, I, when you said that you liked wanted to do this one, I understood why. And maybe I'm wrong here. But for me, it's Tiny Dancer. Yeah, <laughs> it's that scene whether he's on the tour bus. He's like, this is a guy. He's like a kid. He's like he's like 15 years old, <laughs> and he's just like all of a sudden realizing like, oh man, I am out of my depth. <laughs> I want to go home. And then, like, you know, uh, it's Kate Hudson, I think. He's like the groupie next to him. It's like, hey, you know you what? You are home. Yeah. Right? And, you know, and, you know, the, the bus is just driving down the highway. And all of a sudden, it's like, hold me closer, time to dance. And it's just, uh, you know, even if you, I think the movie is actually really good. But if you don't like the movie, you'll love the scene. Because it's just, again, just one of those marriages of music. Yeah to scene, to, to time and place that just works so well. Oh, I feel so real lying here with no one near, only you and you can hear me when I say softly slowly the closer time
Smith and Cameron Crowe was able to license a Zeppelin song, which I believe had never, ever, ever happened to that point. It did happen since then, including on uh, that Jack Black uh, School of Rock well, film. Well, he was famously able to use it on Fast Times at Richmond High in the film, right, but not, but not, on, on, the like, not on the reissues. Yep. So like in the film where uh, I, I can't remember the guys, you know, the guy's like, listen, if you want to make out with a girl, you have to do it to Led Zeppelin, the second half of Led Zeppelin 4. And then like, I think at that time, like in the film, if you see the theatrical cut, it's like when the levy breaks. It's not. It's physical graffiti. It's the wrong album. Oh, d- damn it's, it. it's, um, right. it's Cashmere, I think. Yeah. Okay, well, something like that. But I, I think that that got changed because, like, Zeppelin was like, but no, you can't. can't in, like, the re- in, like, later, right. like, DVD reissues, it's not on the soundtrack right. anymore. Um, the, the other song that, that moves me as much as Tiny Dancer in the way it's used in the film is Feel Flows from Beach Boys. Yeah, from Sunflower, yeah. Um, and it's one that I was not real familiar with when the movie was released, and that one hits, like, every part of me. The uh, the scene in the movie, the way... That's a Carl Wilson written song, and his vocals are just phenomenal. It made me go back and, uh, and dig into some of that Beach Boys stuff from the early to mid-70s. Oh, man, Feel Flows is an amazing song. And the wind shows up again. It was on the Rushmore soundtrack. It's on the almost famous soundtrack as well. Um, what else? Oh, and uh, oh, by the by the way, coming this summer, Beach Boys. Yes, for fans yes. coming this summer. Um, and it's even let's see. Well, America, the, the Paul Simon tune. I'm not the biggest Paul Simon fan, but again, its use in the movie on the soundtrack is is great. Um, I still wish they'd use the yes version, but yeah. <laughs> so almost famous. And let me mention let me mention one more while we're on some of these kind of uh comps, and that is uh that's pulp fiction. Um I've always been a sucker for surf music, uh, well before Pulp Fiction was even released. And this includes my favorite surf song ever, which is Surf Rider from the Lively One. Things you remember, right? I was in driver's ed, 
at uh, at a high school. They did driver's ed at a high school, at the public high school. I went to private high school. So after school, I would go to this public local public high school. We'd, we'd be in driver's ed, at driver's ed class. And the dance team for that high school would practice at the same time we did driver's ed. And they were so loud, you could hear everything they were doing. And they did a dance routine to Jungle Boogie from Cool in the Gang. And they were using the track from the soundtrack. So I heard that the Royale with Cheese and the Jungle Boogie over and over again. Um, so it's, it's a good memory that I have. I, I learned how to drive. You know, why not? Uh, the Urge Overkill song on here, Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon, the Neil Diamond track. Uh, Urge Overkill is a great band out of Chicago that does not get remembered quite as fondly as perhaps they should have. Um, and, uh, and, um, and the rest of the surf tracks on here are fantastic. The way that the, the dialogue and the movie inter- is interspersed and interwoven in, in, in the Pulp Fiction, fiction soundtrack. Very, very good. It's one that I, 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 I judge soundtracks, too, by how often I want to grab them and put them on. I would never grab the Forrest Gump soundtrack and put it on because I've heard those songs 50,000 times and I can turn on the radio and hear them at any point. The way that Pulp Fiction is structured and chosen, uh, it's one that I still do grab to every now and then to, to listen through because of how well it's done. Now, at this point, I think the proper point to get into the problematic legacy of Martin Scorsese. Because I think when people have asked us to do soundtracks, a lot of times when I've been asked in my DMs and then email and other places to do soundtrack, you know, to do a soundtrack episode, a lot of times people are saying, well, yeah, what about Goodfellas? Goodfellas, yes. What about The Departed? What about those things? And here is where, this is where I credit your point scott about like well it's just a little bit too easy to assemble like a bunch of songs that you know conjure their era and you'll give you that good old classic rock or that early 50s late 50s rock vibe um 70s if you're getting into say like the departed but Mm -hmm. don't necessarily make a lot of sense now i'm going to start with the departed because that's the one i don't like as much it's got a lot of great songs, great songs. Like if you actually looked at the list of the songs on the Departed soundtrack, there's no way you could object to them. I mean, who's going to dislike Comfortably Numb? <laughs> well, I would because actually, you know, I've never been a big fan of The Wall, but it's got like like uh, Let It Loose by the Stones mm-hmm. and that bar scene where where uh, you know Leonardo DiCaprio is talking with Jack Nicholson. You know, it's got like the the, the Almond Brothers song I think from uh, the Live at the Fillmore was a one one way out, one way out, which is also on the Almost Famous soundtrack. Right, you know, and it's got like you know, like you know, actually, the thing that I think works the best in this is is by a band who I don't much care for, but like I'm shipping up to Boston, you know, by the Dropkick Murphys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it works in that because <laughs> you know they are they're like you know, like yeah, a bunch of Boston thugs, and so that's a good song for that, you know, Sail on Sailor by the Beach Boys. But nevertheless, it feels like it's almost like here's a boomer director throwing in a lot of boomer soundtrack songs. I believe Robbie Robertson may have also been responsible. I like to blame Robbie Robertson because you know <laughs> Robbie Robertson is a jerk. But uh, the one that everybody praises universally, and even I just sort of have to yield to the power of the situation and agree with, is his soundtrack for Goodfellas. And of course, the number one reason we all love Goodfellas' soundtrack is because of Layla. I feel like this yes. is like where people rediscovered Layla. I feel like Eric Clapton did that horrible acoustic version <laughs> of Layla on Unplugged. 
because the piano outro of Layla became so iconic in that moment where like, well, you know, Robert De Niro is, is like cleaning up all of the loose ends from the uh, the airline heist, and like everybody, like you people get like put on meat hooks in refrigerated <laughs> lockers or shot to death in their cars or whatever it is. But like for some reason, the the piano, the the Bobby Gordon piano outro to uh, Layla from Derek and the Dominoes that works really well. stuff really works well too like beyond the sea or earlier 50 stuff like beyond the sea by like you know bobby darren yep. and there's like you know like there's some stuff by like the chantelles and the moon glows and stuff like that that's a really good soundtrack i essentially but, i essentially could not include it because my my well Layla, but my other favorite track in the whole movie is not on the actual soundtrack album and that's jump into the fire by harry nelson yes, by I, harry nelson right fantastic yeah, we're 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 uh, we're like um, Ray Liotta is like basically like coke out of his mind. Yes. He's driving. He's like, yeah. ah! He, he thinks the helicopters. Are, he's right. The helicopters are watching him from the sky. Too. Monkey Man's not on the actual soundtrack. I mean, right. this is this is this is one where good luck licensing a Stone song while Alan right. Klein still drew breath. But this is so one like, I think that it goes back to your point where people miss not misremember but don't necessarily realize what's on the actual soundtrack versus what is in the actual movie, right? Exactly. And this is the thing is that you just have to kind of speak to the the kind of collective memory of these things. I think after a certain point, because like people will remember a song being there and then they'll go back and they'll realize oh that's not actually you can't go buy the cd and find that but if you listen to the movie it's always going to kind of inextricably be associated yes. with that scene you saw mm-hmm. right monkey man by the way the i think the single most underrated rolling oh, stones so of all time you know i can't believe it's still never been released on like any of their billion compilation albums oh my god it's the great 
greatest damn thing ever um but yeah it's used to an immeasurable effect in the film and uh yep nope good luck finding it on the cd because yeah alan klein was not about to give up the rights to that goal <laughs> he, was, he was gonna say yeah you know go buy let it bleed that's the only place yes. you can find it uh so we'll talk about this more in the stones episode but i think monkey man or Hand of Fate would be the most underrated Stones track. But that's that's, that's for later. That's for the Stones episode. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, I think that brings us to our final category, which, I mean, for lack of a better term, we, we said new old. <laughs> so <laughs> these can be, um, at least one of these is a, is, a, is a combination of older tracks with songs that are very much of the era. There are two that, uh, at least I know I'll talk about, that are, uh, re-recordings of, of old songs, putting a, a slightly new spin on them. Um, I don't know. Do you, what do you have in this category? I don't really have a lot, actually, in this category. You know, this is this is one more for you because I tried to keep myself out of this. And I don't know. I was maybe being a bit puritanical, I suppose. I mean, you know, there's another. OK, there's another compilation album that I'll mention, by the way, before we move away oh. from that. I don't feel like I have too much to contribute here. You know what? I have an idea because you forgot to mention one earlier and you will absolutely murder me if we finish this episode and you don't get a chance to talk about it. And that's Purple Rain. Oh, so you, yes. should, you should talk about Purple Rain here before I get to my couple of, of old new categories. Okay, well, Purple Rain is an actual... Okay, here, here's the funny thing about Purple Rain. We think of Purple Rain as an album. Prince is out. Prince's greatest album. This is his most famous album, right? I don't know if it's actually Prince's greatest album. I might argue for some others. Certainly his most famous album, his biggest selling album. And the irony is the reason we think of it as just an album is because the movie sucks. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, he did a couple movies, actually. By the way, uh, Under the Cherry Moon is even worse, uh, but Parade is also a great album. Uh, maybe that, that could have been an equal nominee here. But, like, do I need to sell Purple Rain to people? <laughs> do I need to explain to you why When Doves Cry is a good song or why I Would Die For You or Take Me With You? Or, I mean, every single song of this album, maybe with the exception of The Beautiful Ones, it's a masterpiece. <laughs> no, it's Purple Rain. If you don't own it, blush. If you don't own it, you know nothing of modern music, my friend. You are a pretender to the throne. This is one of the greatest albums of all time. And I just think it's hilarious that you no longer think of it That's as a, a quote soundtrack yeah. album.
And you know that I am not, uh, I, I shouldn't say I'm not the biggest Prince fan. It's just one of the artists I've never taken a deep dive into. I will. Uh, oh, because we're going to do the episode. But even, yeah, yeah, you're going to have to check up on that soon. Even I own Purple Rain. Even I like Purple Rain. So, you know, everyone else should too, I suppose. Um, all right. So in this category of, of kind of new old, I've, I've, got a, I've got a handful. One is uh is kingpin if you remember kingpin the it's a fairly brothers film with uh, woody harrelson oh, who can remember woody harrelson right. it's uh, the bowling it, movie it, basically his best role uh, up until true detective um he was pretty good in uh in uh, zombie land too i gotta tell i gotta tell you <laughs> i never saw it but uh, uh kingpin has this mix of new and and old on the soundtrack that i think works supremely well from the old category and by the way there this is one where again there are a couple of songs on the actual movie in the actual movie that aren't on the soundtrack that i would have loved showdown from elo is in the movie not on the soundtrack but old songs on the soundtrack i think the first time i ever heard save it for later from the english beat which is a freaking great song yes. um, it's on the soundtrack um not, not enough people know the english beat just like not enough people know the jammer style council yeah. Uh, Todd Rundgren's I Saw the Light is on yeah. the soundtrack. Uh, disco Inferno from The Tramps, which uh, if, if, you're, if, if you like disco, um, that's got to be near the top of the list of best disco songs. And then you get uh, some of the newer stuff. I think one of the best Blues Traveler songs, But Anyway, which I don't think was a single or a big hit or anything, but it's on here. It's great. There's uh, a song called... Um, she came on by a band super deluxe which never did much of anything it's the first song on the soundtrack it's one of the first songs on the uh, in in the movie great slice of like mid-90s power pop freddie johnston's on here with this perfect world which is also a great album from freddie johnston the last song on the soundtrack is the best song on the soundtrack um billy goodrum who you don't know because he didn't do anything else he does a lot of film and, and tv scoring has this heartbreaking, gorgeous ballad called We Should Always Be Together. It's a fantastic song that closes out the Kingpin soundtrack. I don't want to leave you Even for a minute I couldn't stand To live my life Single day without you in it they say the time heals all wounds But I can't wait for later Anyway, I'm afraid If I walk away this time it could be fatal I don't want to go I want to stay with you forever Feel your beating heart We should always be together um, And so again, this is one that I grab all the time to listen to. It's paced very well. Everything is, is sort of mixed well from, from new and old. Very, very good, the, the Kingpin soundtrack. I want to mention Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? which is one that my wife and I agree on. And we do not have uh, extremely similar tastes in music, but Oh Brother Where Art Thou is one that uh, that crosses over. And it's Can one... I tell you, okay, here's the thing. I love Oh Brother We're Out There too, so does my wife. 
but and maybe this is a tribute to it. I just never thought of it as a mix of the old and the new. And then I looked at it as you mentioned it, and I was like, "Oh, T Bone Burnett did that." Yep. Had no idea. <laughs> that's uh, you know, you know, I raised my hand you know, because that that's a good sign for me when it doesn't feel like a put on. Yeah, it's it's it really the way it. I mean, there's Norman Blake's "You Are My Sunshine"s on here. Uh, but the way the T-Bone Burnett's done such great work in his career, um, he just helmed this thing from start to finish. And again, I think this is one of those things where the soundtrack was done or the soundtrack was put together before the film was even done. I mean, they knew how important the soundtrack was going to be to sort of set the time and set the mood of the film. Alison Krauss is all over this. Emmylou Harris and uh, and uh, the, the Ralph Stanley version of Oh Death is amazing. Um, and then I am a man of constant sorrow, which uh, the singer would go on to be the singer on. Oh, now I'm not going to remember the name of the the guy. There was a there was another hit from a couple of years ago where again uh, the voice of the song is not really credited as being the the, the singer. Um, I can't remember what the heck it is. I'll find it after the show. But I'm a man of constant sorrow, which again is the, is is kind of like that that thing you do with a film and that you hear it multiple times. It has to be really good. It is really good. In constant sorrow. This is such a soothing, sweet, relaxing album. It's one of the ones that, you know, we're making dinner or in the kitchen. You know, throw an old brother Rarth out. And it's a great collection of songs. Again, old bluegrass country gospel, but recorded by T-Bone Burnett, largely with newer, uh, more modern artists. But it sounds fantastic. I, I'll tell you, the best thing I can say about Man of Constant Sorrow is that I grew up on it. Uh, in two different versions. I grew up on on the Bob Dylan version. I grew up on the Rod Stewart version. Mm-hmm. And, and those are the ones that I I had known for years. And then I heard the Oh Brother Where Art Thou version, and I was like, oh, that's better, damn it. <laughs> that's better. It that, really, that, it, it really it's works well. really good. Yep. Really good. And uh, the last one I want to mention in this category, again, uh, to me, it's one of the most important albums in, in, uh, in my life. And that is the soundtrack from the Blues Brothers, in which you have all sorts of uh, of things coming together. You've got, you know, Cab Calloway, and you've got uh, uh, Ray Charles doing Shake a Tail Feather. You've got these old blues standards being done by uh, uh, by the Blues Brothers. And again, uh, a couple of songs from the movie that I always wished were on the soundtrack uh, soothe me from Sam and Dave when they're trying to find, find Bob's Country Bunker. Oh, love Soothe Me. And then uh, I, I always wish that Tammy Wynette's uh, Stand By Your Man or the Blues Brothers version of Stand By Your Man was was on the soundtrack. It's not, but it's still, it, it is, again, one of the most important albums of my life because all these artists and, and, and the you know, kind of the R&B soul genre was not a part of my life growing up. You know, my, 
Uh, it was classic rock. My mom was very much, you know, 50s and 60s oldie stuff. I wouldn't have heard these songs or heard of these artists without the Blues Brothers and without the Blues Brothers soundtrack. Aretha Franklin, for goodness sake, think, yeah. is on here. People walking around every day playing games and facing scores. Trying to make other people lose their mind. Well, I'll be careful you don't lose yours. Um, no, I, no, Scott, I don't know if you saw my long uh, tweets. Yes, you finally about, saw the film. About watching, yes, exactly. <laughs> about finally watching the Blues Brothers for the first time. Uh, but we're going to point out this happened in, uh, uh, I, uh, I think, uh, May of 2019. So, like, it's pretty recent <laughs> that I finally saw the Blues Brothers. Now, the irony, of course, is that I knew all of these artists um, long before then. And then I finally saw the film. And I gotta say, like, it's okay. Um, it's not it's not bad at all. It has some pretty funny moments. I don't know if I was so impressed. What I loved, of course, was all the great cameos. Yeah. Basically Cab Calloway doing Minnie the Moocher. Man, that just sold it for me. I was just like, man, that's he still kills it. He's like eighty years old and he's still killing it on stage. Man, that was awesome. The thing about the Blues Brothers soundtrack that always kind of weird that weirds me out. I mean when I listen to it, I'm just watching it from this perspective, is that this is a film set in Chicago with Chicago blues lovers. Right. And yet there are no Chicago blues men in it. The best you get is jo- John Lee Hooker in the film, you know, doing uh, Boom Boom. Yeah. yeah. But, like, like, I mean, they couldn't get Howl- they couldn't get Willie, you know, <laughs> Willie Dixon. They couldn't get, you know, Muddy Waters. They, yep. Where's all the Chicago, the chess blues guys? Like, I don't know where what happened there. Um, I, I don't know if it was contractual rights or something like that. They got all the, the stacks full, the Tennessee, Memphis, Delta guys. Right, right. And, and you know, listen, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not casting aspersions. <laughs> great music. Great. Who's going to object to Ray Charles showing up in a film, shooting a, uh, a shoplifter, and then playing a great song, <laughs> which is actually another great sequence in the film. Um, but I was just like, where are the Chicago Blues guys? Yeah. And um, I don't know. Someone's probably got a good answer for that. But I don't know what the answer is. And I, I think, well, we might do a Blues Brothers episode at some point. Our friend Dan McLaughlin loves them. I love uh, the Blues Brothers. But should, I mean, this was these were ace band members, right? I mean, it was amateur singing. Uh, they, in, they literally got like, they, they got, they Steve, got. Steve Cropper, Cropper. Yep. I mean, Willie Hall on drums and uh, Lou Marini and Matt Murphy. Matt Matt Guitar Murphy, my goodness. Alan Rubin on trumpet. These were the guys. I mean, this was a crack band, and it shows up on the album, too, because they, they are arranged and performed so well. I will never tire of hearing the opening of She Caught the Katie. Uh, the Taj Mahal song, which which is the lead-off track in the soundtrack. Uh, man, all of it from from the beginning, from that kind of fade in with the with the guitar. It sounds so amazing. 
This this album means so much to me and to the progression of my musical taste. That of course it's going to be on this list. And I again, I still think it's just a great album. Period, start to finish. I wish there were more. I wish there were Blues Brothers, you know, Volume Two with some of the stuff in the film that was not included. But then you, you do have the actual Blues Brothers albums. You could get like Briefcase Full of Blues and Made in America, things like that. But didn't Briefcase Full of Blues was that like a number one album? It I was. Think. It was a number one album. Briefcase no, full of blues. Yep. Yep. I still remember my old Billboard book of number one hit albums. That's why I know that. Isn't that fun? Uh, and that that's uh, those are mine from that from that category. That might be all we've got. That might be the end of the episode. Um, so I guess do we? You know what? We didn't even talk about this. Do we want to like do something as stupid as like trying to reduce this to a top five? I, I think even though we're dealing difficult. with such different categories, <laughs> you know, and, and completely different concepts. I think that would be awfully tough. Awfully tough. But should we talk about some that maybe real quickly that didn't make our lists? For example, like Saturday Night Fever is a great soundtrack, but it's not it's not totally my cup of tea. But I can't deny, right, that that's a perfect soundtrack for that film and the, and the impact it had culturally. And those Bee Gees songs actually, you know, they get parodied, you know, the Bee Gees disco stuff, but they hold up pretty well. I mean, Jive Talking and even... Um, other things from the album hold up pretty well. Dirty Dancing, right? Dirty Dancing is not on my list, but I can't deny to you that Dirty Dancing is not like a perfect soundtrack for that film. From um, actually, actually interviewed, um, um, I've had uh, Bill Medley um, from uh, who's saying I've had the time of my life. We talked about that song. You know, Eric Carmen, Hungry Eyes, She's Like the Wind, Patrick Swayze. That's a perfect soundtrack for that for that film. It's not on my list. I don't love the film, nor do I love the soundtrack. But if you love Dirty Dancing, yes, that's a perfect soundtrack for that film. I, I love how you describe Bill Medley as the guy who's saying, I had the time. I know, I know, I know. No, I just meant we talked talk about who's saying, you've <laughs> lost that loving feeling and unchained melody. We talked about that, too, but we specifically did talk about I've had the time of my life, which is why I was bringing that in here. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> It's like, it's like that's a member of the Righteous Brothers. I know, man. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I I don't know. I'm just trying to think about like soundtracks I didn't mention. I mean, the, I mean, there are soundtracks I didn't mention because I've thought about them and they suck. So, uh, <laughs> like, so there's a soundtrack to Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, which is a terrible film, and uh, uh, some people will still try to defend the uh, soundtrack. But no, the soundtrack is terrible too. <laughs> Uh, people would say like, oh, but the but the version of Come Together by the uh, by was it by Aerosmith? Oh, that's right? atrocious. Oh, it's I don't I hate it exactly. People say it's hate, but oh my god! Like, listen, this is not the brief of our episode, but man, if we ever did like a worst soundtracks episode, man, I got to talk to you about like you know Sandy Farina doing Strawberry Fields Forever, 
or, or, or like those terrible versions of like it was George Burns doing fixing a hole. Oh my god, that makes me want to jab my eardrums out with screwdrivers. Oh man, what, how much cocaine was being consumed when you know uh, who, who was it who did this? Who was George Martin produced it? I think. I think so. Uh, oh, George. Oh, George, you had such a good legacy. Why did you have to, to crap on it like this? You know, uh, I mean, you know, if I, were, if I were given more time to think, I could think about great songs that other people have contributed to soundtracks or maybe even to soundtrack-inspired discs. Here's a random one that I will cite. Maybe, maybe, just maybe we should end the show with this. Uh, there was... A, a great TV series in the 1990s that I loved called The X Files, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it was a TV show, and so it, it didn't have uh, you know rock songs on its soundtrack. It, soundtrack was composed by a guy named Mark Snow. Good music, uh, but it inspired uh, a CD called "Quote Songs in the Key of X," and that's a pretty good soundtrack album. Yes. Um, and the best thing on that soundtrack album was a song contributed to it by Elvis Costello. And the name of that song is called My Dark Life. Uh, this doesn't fit in anywhere else. It probably wouldn't even fit in on our Elvis Costello episode when we get around to doing it. But what a beautiful song it is. It's Elvis Costello collaborating with Brian Eno. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's really actually about his experience in the former Soviet Union after the collapse of the wall. Um, and it's just this very slow, creeping, ambient uh, crawl of a number uh, that that kind of gets at the creep and the gloom and the paranoia, not only of the former Soviet Union when all of these old authoritarian strictures are just collapsing around them and they're not really sure what laws govern them anymore, but also sort of the paranoia of the show itself. So although The X-Files never got a soundtrack, um, that's probably one of the great sort of lost soundtrack-ish songs that I can think of. And it's strong, concealed on set of bells and alarms in the strangest locations of my dark life but the fantasy slipped as he tipped her in cigarettes she tries to smile very graciously Second person, I, I'm going to forget his name, and I, I apologize in advance. Remember, there was a someone did a massively long Elvis Costello thread when uh, his most recent album came out, and literally went through every single album and every single comp and every single song, and it was went on for like 40 days. Um, and he spent a long time talking about my dark life and Elvis Costello working with Brian Eno. So now it's the second time. 
that I've been told I should check that out. So maybe it's time that I that I do. I suppose it definitely is, especially if you you're hoping to do an Elvis Costello episode. With yes, us. yes. You can, um, you can find it on Extreme Honey, the best of the WB years. Also on the reissue of All This Useless Beauty. Which, do I have that? I don't think I have that reissue. Choose TD set, my should, friend, on Rhino Records. Those rhinos are fantastic. Yeah, they um, really are. And while you were talking, I did go through and I looked at it. I think we've covered what we want to cover. I think also we've we've sort of explained, because, you know, we're going to put this out and we'll get tweets that say, what about this one or what about that one? I think we've done pretty well explaining why certain things did not make our list, so... I think we call it a day and look forward to our summer session when we have some big bands coming through. Oh, yes. Um, we're not even really sure which big band will be honking down the highway first, but <laughs> we we are going to find out one way or another soon enough. Uh, we, uh, we invite you to uh, subscribe to our feed for new episodes, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn, or right there at National Review. Dot com. Listen, enjoy, share, leave reviews. If you do have ideas that we uh, we didn't mention somewhere on the show, or you think we've completely forgotten about, feel free to check us out on Twitter at political underscore beats or our own accounts, Jeff Blair at Esoteric CD, uh, Scott Bertram at Scott Bertram on Twitter. We always welcome uh, insight and uh, and comments most of the time. Jeff. Yep. Fine show. This was fun when, you know, the two of us just talk a little music. You know, it is. It makes it really easy when I don't have to worry about that obstreperous third person getting in the way <laughs> and cutting out the signal. Just, we love our guests. We're, we, we love our guests. We're just, we're just, we're just <laughs> yes, kidding. Yes, we do. Please, <laughs> guests, come on. We need you. We love you. Uh, again, at Political Beats on Twitter, if you want to jump in. This has been a presentation of National Review. This is Political Beats. <laughs> 